World of Blaze Inc. brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture, always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith Real Talk. This is your host, the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com. You're probably wondering, like, where you been, man? I know. It's been a while. Um, you know, we've had this pandemic. We've had all the, uh, the unrest in our country. And quite honestly, we've just had life. I, this is one of five podcasts that I do. Um, and uh, just trying to, you know, do the work of the Lord in the vineyard with World Ablaze and everything else that we got going on. So I am um, super pumped to be back and we'll try to be more consistent with uh, what we're doing here on True Faith Real Talk. So, you know, today's guest has been kind of long overdue. Uh, I met this individual um, actually at a, a men's morning of spirituality. So shout out to MMOS in Memphis. And this uh, individual was a, uh, kind of the witness speaker. So the format of the day, he was the witness speaker. So he spoke right before I did the keynote. And I'm going to be honest with y'all. It blew my mind just the story his conversion um everything he had to share came straight from the heart um from real life experience and he he was like the perfect candidate for true faith real talk because um now uh, given where he is in life he is all about his faith but he's just a real humble guy um i consider him a a brother uh was fortunate enough to have him and his beautiful wife out to california all the way from memphis um to participate really in our last live conference as world ablaze this last uh, year in february so i am grateful and honored to invite to the show of true faith real talk my brother john edwards what's up brother Hey, man, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. And I just want you to know I came prepared in case you get too on fire. <laughs> I got my extinguisher here. I'm going to keep you uh, keep you in check over there. Hey. I don't want you to set anything on fire. I appreciate <laughs> it. You know, especially as I, I now that I look at me on screen, right, I'm like, there is a contrast between the the wood background that I have and this yeah. uh, Hawaiian print island shirt. So I'm living. I don't know, man. You you could be a, sh a shed in Hawaii for all I know. I mean, you look the part right now. That's true. It is a little brown shack <laughs> in Hawaii. So, um, so brother, I appreciate you joining me today. And, yeah. you know, the, the title of this episode is really From Addict to Evangelist. And, you know, when I ran into you in Memphis and heard your story, I, you know, like we talked about when we started to kind of grow in our, our brotherhood and our friendship, it was like, man, I got you have a story to to tell and to share. And so that's kind of the, the way we roll here on True Faith Real Talk is really we kind of talk about people's either conversion or reversion story. Um, yeah. And then just kind of what the work where you are today, right? Uh, sure. where, where you are as it relates to what God is doing in your life. So your story, um, yeah, I'm pumping it up, hyping it up for the listeners and viewers out there. It's just <laughs> one that um, speaks to the the amazing power and love of God and what he can do when you finally uh, give your life to him. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background, brother, and we'll let introduce people sure. to who John Edwards is and that journey you've been on. All right. Well, thanks. And first of all, John, you, you're uh, one of my closest friends now. It's been a God, what a joy and a pleasure to, to be around you and to get to know you and spend, you know, till three o'clock in the morning on some trips we've been on talking and all of that. So Amen. once again, thanks for having me and in and, uh, and the way you just welcome Angela and my family into your life. We really appreciate it. So um, well, a little bit about me. I mean, it's a long story, but I'm going to shorten it up as best I can. I know we're limited here in time. So, you know, I was born and raised Baptist, uh, lived in Memphis all my life. I uh, was in church every day that it was open until I was 18 years old. Uh, I was a kid that didn't have a lot of friends at, at school. All my friends were at church, uh, you know, and, and so that's really where I lived my life. And that's really where my community was uh, all the way up until 18. Uh, and then everybody sort of shot off to college. You know, here in Memphis, we're in the middle of what they call SEC country. So uh, it's, it's sort of a melting pot of all kind of people that went to all these other colleges, you know, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Alabama, wherever. But uh, so a lot of kids want to follow in their parents' footsteps. And so they want to go off to college, wherever their mom or dad might have gone. And so really quickly, you know, my life went from having this just tremendous, uh, you know, community going to mission trips and out of the country to serve others and just really uh, evangelizing at a young age to all of a sudden my entire safety net's gone. All, all the people I know are gone and I'm sitting here going, what am I going to do with my life? So 
Uh, I'd started working at a, an auto parts place when I was 16 that my father had worked at and, and um, just said, well, I'll continue doing that. I'm going to enroll in the University of Memphis. So uh, I did. And for the first time in my life, I was at school or someplace where I didn't know a lot of people. I was on this big campus. And, and even though I was commuting to the school, you know, I, I didn't know anybody. Um, it was very lonely. Uh, first time in my life, I just didn't have a lot of community around me. And, you know, there would be these pretty girls that come into class that I wanted to talk to, wanted to get to know. And, and you know, couldn't they weren't they wouldn't say anything to me. And I started noticing that, you know, they had uh, they were talking to guys with fraternity shirts on. So I was like, maybe I should get one of those. I mm. uh, thought it was a good idea. You know, went and knew one guy left in town that was a rush chairman of a fraternity at Memphis. And so I called him and he said, yeah, we're actually, you know, going to be rushing this fall. And, uh, you know, I went from with that decision there, I went from being a 3.8 GPA student to getting into fraternity and everything going downhill from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, what I realized looking back now is I didn't know who I was once I got into college. You know, I knew who I had been, but I had no idea who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So um, I was lost. And I looked to others to tell me who I should have been. And I was lonely. Like I said, I'd spent you know almost a year in college without anybody around. And so I started to do whatever it took to, to meet people, to know people, to have people like me. Mm-hmm. Right. I became a chameleon among men, I guess you could say. And so at that time, I'd worked for that same auto parts company for several years, for about six years by then. And I'd moved up and I was making good money for a kid in college. And and so I had means that others didn't, you know, I had a car, I could uh, buy beer, I could buy whatever anybody wanted, I could get you into a club, whatever it was. And so I started to do things that people were doing to make me um, uh, liked. So a lot of drugs, right? A lot of drugs in college, started smoking pot and then started doing other things. And then I'll never forget the night I made the decision to to do cocaine for the first time. Uh, you know, I'd done pretty much anything in between LSD, ecstasy, all of those things trying to fit in and you know, I was a womanizer, you know, not proud of it, but women were nothing more than another conquest to me uh, in my college days, uh, you know, and another notch on the belt. And so anyway, uh, I started making bad decisions like those. Uh, my grades went to, to nothing. My dad basically said, you know, if you're going to waste money in school and, and do that kind of stuff, you might as well just work. So I dropped out and uh, man, it, it's... <laughs> I thought, you know, when I kept, I continued to move up in the same company I was in, mm-hmm. you know, from, from loading trucks and all these things I'd started doing to I was an outside salesman. By the time I was 25, 26, you know, I was making a lot of money. And uh, I just kept saying, well, I'll stop this. You know, it started the drugs. It started to where, you know, it was me and my buddies doing it. We'd do a little bit, go out, come back. Um, and that was it. But then I started buying it myself. I started doing it at my house. And Next thing you know, it was just me and this group of guys. It wasn't the fraternity anymore. It was this group of guys that were addicted to a drug and we didn't even know it. Um, well, long story short, I continued to move up at work. Uh, I was, uh, I was a, like I said, a chameleon among men. A lot of men, a lot of people would look at me and say, man, that guy's got everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd, I had the job, I had the money, I had the car, all that stuff. But I was so broken inside, you know, just so, so broken. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, lonely too, because I had aged out of, of, of college where you meet women. I wasn't going to church, so didn't think I was ever going to find somebody to get married. And, and God delivered the greatest angel of my life, who is a, you know, appropriately named Angela, my <laughs> wife, um, in, in a bar one night. I knew her in college, but it had been several years since we saw each other. And uh, we just kind of met that night. She didn't recognize me. I was, had gained a little weight, grown a little facial hair. And uh, we started talking one night, realized that she, we knew each other and, uh, you know, dated for a little while. And a couple of years later, we're married and on the way to having some kids. But I never was honest with her about that I was struggling with this. I thought I would stop. You know, I met a girl. I thought that would stop me from what I was doing. I, we were going to get married. I thought that would stop me from what I'm doing. Then we have a 10-year-old, now 10-year-old son, Jacob, that I thought, man, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have my first kid. And it's a boy. And and that I'll stop, you know, I got to stop then, you know, I got to cut all this cocaine out now. Didn't, didn't, didn't stop me then had a set of twins. Didn't stop me then, you know, and, and I'd given it a couple of good shots, but nothing was working. And in the midst of between my son being bored and my, and my girls, uh, my mother passed away. You know, she had had breast cancer for several years, about five years. And it moved all around, you know, different things in her body. And eventually the one doctor's appointment I went to with her, 
uh, was the one where they said it's moved through your brain and you've got, you know, a couple of weeks or a month to live. Mm-hmm. And John, you know, <laughs> the thing about those drugs and alcohol, they make you so selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, it, you become all about yourself and what you want and on your time. And I can remember how many times where my mother wanted me to stay with them overnight at our farm or whatever longer than I would, but I always had to get back to the party. I always had to get back. Didn't want to miss anything, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I regretted all that time that I missed with her. But I also blame God because here I was this guy who was, who was, had all these masks, right. That was, I was to, to the world. I was a successful salesman. I was, you know, I, I was, I was killing it in the company. I was a fortune two fifty uh, salesman of the year for a, for a huge company. Um, you know, I had this beautiful family, this big house, but I was, my life was in shambles. I mean, I was a walking dead. I really was like, I just, no one knew I was staying up every night, drinking 15 to 18 beers and doing a 40 bag of Coke in a day or two, just every night, smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes. So when my mother died, like I immediately went to do what a lot of us do. We make the mistake of blaming God, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I hated God. I told him, I was like, I hate you. I'll never worship you. Uh, you, you, you used to mean something to me years ago, but you haven't meant something to me. And if you would take somebody like my mother, I'm the one that should have died, right? I'm the piece of, you know what, I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm the, the, the guy that's lower than dirt. And so the only time I would mourn my mom is when I was in the shower by myself, I would, I would get in there and start crying and beating on the wall and cussing God. And then I would get out and go put the mask back on and go out to the world to this person, to be this person. Everybody thought John was, well, Anyway, um, you know, I thought I was bulletproof, but God showed me in a couple of nights that I wasn't, um, you know, my wife had sort of given up, you know, even trying to have a relationship with me. You know, she was basically living with me and putting up with me. I, I was a good father when I wanted to be. I was a good husband when I wanted to be. It wasn't very often, but uh, I mean, she would go to bed at like nine o'clock at night and not even ask, hey, do you want to watch TV? Do you want to do anything with me? Because she just knew I, I was going to sit up there and do my thing. Mm. And so one night it was like two in the morning and, uh, I'd gone back to bed and I had been doing a bunch of drugs, like I said, and crawled into bed and, and somehow managed to fall asleep, which is very hard to do, uh, when you've been doing cocaine, but I fell asleep. And, and next thing I know, I, uh, my heart bust out of my, my shirt. I mean, it, I rolled out of bed. I found myself on the floor and my heart was just doing this like night and nothing. And I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm, I'm not going to be able to hide anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I crawled into the, into the, what we, I call a master bathroom, but it was no bigger than a closet at that time mm-hmm. in the house we lived in. But I, I, I sat up on the commode, pulled myself up and I, I just couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating and I, I just kept going, God, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. And, and I kept having these thoughts of, I need to have Angela call an ambulance. And then, you know, I just, I said, you know what, I'd rather die right here on the floor than her to find out what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather take the easy way out. And somehow I remember some, this sounds silly, but like some cartoon I watched when I was a kid with those more you knows about how to slow your breath when you're hyperventilating. So I grabbed a towel and put my face in it and somehow slowed my breath. And I said, okay, God, thank you. I, I promise you I, I won't do this again. So I went to bed. I, I fell asleep, woke up the next day and uh, said, I'm done with it, threw the, threw the stuff out. By 4.30 the next afternoon, I was already back buying more and at home doing it again. So that next night, God, you know, kind of looked at me and said, I'll show you, mm. you know. And uh, I got back in bed, same thing again, 2 in the morning, bam, 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 bam. My heart just even worse than the night before. Mm-hmm. Crawl back on the commode and think, you know, same thing again. God, I'll stop. God, I'll stop. I promise I'll worship you. And I, I promise I'll love you. Da, 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 da. Didn't mean a word of it. And uh, I sat there and I thought, you know what? I'm going to die if I don't stop, whether he helps me or not. I've got to do something about it. And you mentioned men's morning of spirituality earlier. My father-in-law was a very devout Catholic. Angel was a Catholic. Uh, I forgot to mention that. But when we got married, I went from being a Baptist to being a Catholic, but only in name. You know, I, when I tell my story, I say, you know, I've been a Catholic for 12 years, but really for only two mm-hmm. or, or three now. So um, in the way that I live my face. So anyway, uh, her father-in-law had been reaching out to me for years to go to this men's morning event here in Memphis, this huge thousand person men, ga- fa- excuse me, thousand person male gathering. And, uh, I said, you know what? I'll go. This is back in 2017. So, uh, I went and I thought, you know what? I know I can go there and there'll at least be confession. At least I can get this off my chest, see if the Lord will forgive me, see if I can move forward in my life. 
Uh, I don't remember who was speaking there and any, anything like that. I went for that one reason to go to confession. Mm-hmm. And I did the thing we all do, right? You walk down the hallway and you're like, I know that guy. Nope, not going in there. I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. So I found this guy from a, from a town outside of Memphis. And I was like, I don't know him. I'll go in there. And I sat down and I began to pour out to this priest. He was this older kind of crotchety uh, priest. And, and, uh, and I sat down and, and, uh, and I just started pouring it out. I started crying. I just let all this stuff out. And I said, I just, I want to stop. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible father. I'm so selfish. I, my life's a mess. You know, all I care about is money and, 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 you know, climbing the ladder at work. I, I just, I'm not the person that I know I need to be. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I don't want to get in trouble. Help me stop it. I don't want to get in trouble. And he looked at me and I'll never forget. It. He said, young man, it's not up to you whether you get in trouble or not. That's up to God. You need to be serious about whether you want forgiveness or not. And so I just looked at him and I said, yes, yes, sir. I'm serious. I just want forgiveness. And I walked out of the room, you know, and after he gave me absolution, I walked out, felt a tremendous weight off of me. He retired shortly after that. I don't know if it was my fault or if he <laughs> had planned to retire. After That's all, one heck of a confession, up. brother. Yeah, I mean, dude, it was everything. I thought the guy was going to need, like, to bring in a support team or something, you know, bring a couple other priests in to share the load. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I, uh, I went home that night. I threw out the cocaine. Or flushed it. Uh, I poured the beer out, you know, poured water on the cigarettes. It was going to change my life. And my wife must have thought, like, what's going on, you know, looking back at it. But uh, that lasted for four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just lasted for four days. I made those promises, and, and it was so hard, John. I mean, if, if anybody's ever dealt with addiction, I felt like I was sick at 4 o'clock every day. You know, I was on the way home, and it was everything I could do to keep myself from, from turning and going to this guy's house or calling the guy I was using and all that. So... I make it four days and it's, uh, and it winds up being Holy Thursday and I go down to work, uh, in, in a town outside of Memphis and I sell this massive amount of equipment. I mean, I'm going to make like more money than I've made in some years off this one sale. And so this natural excitement hits and, and, and the endorphins start to fire and I'm like, I'm going to celebrate just this one time I'm going to celebrate. So I start, you know, heading towards home, supposed to pick up my son, uh, at my father-in-law's. And I call this dealer until he answers the phone and I pull off, I go to his house, run in, get my usual 40 bucks. And uh, I look down at my gas gauge and I'm almost on zero. And I was not in a nice part of town, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gun it trying to get to the gas station, pull up. Next thing I know, I hear whoop, whoop. And I look in the rear view mirror and it's the DEA in Memphis uh, that's pulled me over. He jerked me out of the car, throw me up against it, give me, a, you know, shake me down, start yelling at me, where are the drugs? We know you were in there. We know you bought drugs. I've never been in trouble in my life, you know, John. And uh, I tell them where the drugs are. They're in my sock. They pull them out, throw me in the back of a patrol car or Tahoe, shoot off downtown. I'm slamming up against the back of the thing with my hands cuffed. And I'm thinking my life's over. You know, like I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my wife, my kids, my job. They take me down to organized crime. They shake me down. They tell me if I help them, I'll, they'll let me go, all that nonsense. And uh, I wound up in the back of a, a patrol car going to – 201 poplar which is the the jail downtown where they take everybody when you're arrested Mm. um and there were these two police officers that had me in the car we pull up to take me in there's this long line and they're griping and and cussing me because they're gonna have to sit there for hours when they wanted to get off work uh and one of them just looked at me and said we got you know i guess they were trying to pass the time and he said you don't look like you've ever been in trouble much i go i'm not i just all i want to do is call my wife it's been three or four hours after i'm supposed to pick up my son at this point and the guy says, you know, I'll get my phone. I'll get your phone out of the trunk. You can't touch it or use it. I can't uncuff you, but I'll put it to your ear. You want to call her, which was a, a tremendous, you know, piece of kindness looking back at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, uh, I said, I, I want to talk to her, but I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to say. And, and again, voice of God through someone else. He turns around and he goes, is this about you or is this about her? Mm. And it made me realize how, how, long it had been about me how much it had been about me so we put the phone in my ear i called angela and she said where oh my gosh where are you where are you are you hurt so he ends on the back of a police car about to go into jail in downtown memphis uh i got arrested for with cocaine and she said i hate you and she hung up and i didn't blame her you know i think she'd always had a, se- a sneaking suspicion something like that was going on uh, but at least i had the peace of mind and knowing she knew where i was even if she wasn't going to come get me if she hated me you know, I was going to deal with whatever came next. So he took me in, you know, I go in this place. It's, it's a hellhole, as you can imagine, a jail in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the most dangerous cities, you know, by statistics in the country. Um, and, and I'm seeing guys getting beaten up and stabbed and just crazy stuff. 
Um, you know, I still think I'm going to get out of it because I'm a sales guy and I get out of everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, until they take my picture and they march me back to put on the scrubs. Um, and then they put me in a line to take me down the cell block. And, you know, that's when it really hit me. You know, I wasn't going to some cush little room or anything like that. I was going to a cell. And, and so they take me down there. I'm standing there with this, this bag full of toilet paper and toothbrushes and, all this stuff and, and the door opens, it's four in the morning. It's just, doo, 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 doo. and I look and there's these bunk beds with nasty stains of God knows what's on there. And I walk in and, and, uh, and they tell me to turn around and I watch that door and, and John, like looking at it right now, I can see it in my head. It's like slow motion, just doo, 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 and just slam shut. And I thought that's it. My life's over, but it was, I hadn't eaten. I hadn't slept in 24 hours. So I just said, I'm going to throw a blanket down on the bed, throw another one on top of me and pass out. Hopefully by the grace of God, I did the next morning I wake up and, uh, and I'm still under the blanket and it's dark. I'm like, Oh God, thank God. This was a dream. I promise you, God, I'll stop today. I'll never do cocaine. I'll, I'll stop today. And I sit up and my head hits the bottom of a steel bunk bed. And I, you know, I, I just remember going, no, 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 no. And I throw my legs over the side and there's a cinder block wall, you know, this, this, this far from me. Mm -hmm. And I look around, I realize where I am. I see the stainless steel toilet, you know, all that stuff. And I'm going, no, 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 I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose everything. And John, I just started to have that panic feeling like I did in the bathroom that night. And I started rubbing my arms and rubbing my shoulders and saying, God, no, please, no, I'm going to lose my wife, my, my kids, my, my house, my everything. I'm going to lose everything. No, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, John, like the strangest thing happened. Like I, I get chill bumps even now, years after telling this again and again and again. Mm -hmm. um, I just heard the realest words ever that I ever said come out of my mouth. I stopped in mid mid move, movement and just said, well, now at least I don't have to lie anymore. Mm. You know, at least everyone will know who I am. And I can't explain it. It just felt like the weight of the world fell off of me. And all of a sudden this clarity came to mind and I just was like, I, I can't control whether Angel's going to leave. I can't control whether she's going to take the kids. I can't control if I'm going to have a job when I get out of here. All I can control is this moment and, and focusing on what I'm going to be when I get out of here. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I started praying to God and saying, look, I know I've been terrible to you and I know I've cussed you and I know I've, I've abandoned you, but God, I, 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 I have nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm here. On, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting teary. I, I'm here on my knees and, and, like, if you'll just, if you'll give me a shot at having my family, I promise you I'll be the man that, that you called me to be. I promise you I'll be the young man I once was in my life. And so shortly after that, the bailiff comes, the door opens, and I'm kind of looking out like, am I supposed to be able to walk out of here? Is this like a jailbreak or what? You know, and, mm -hmm. and she just says, you, you got a phone call or you can take a shower, whatever you want to do. So I start speed dialing every guy in my fraternity I knew, right? Don't know how to use this phone. There's no headset to it. Just it was a, a mess. Call everyone I knew in my life, John, that was supposedly my brother for life and all those things. You know, the attorney mottos. No one answered the phone. It's the loneliest I've ever felt in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I finally get a hold of my dad, or I call my dad. I get to my sister. She says, "We know where you are. Angela's down there bailing you out right now," which was a relief. She said, "So you know, hopefully you'll be out by you know nine o'clock tonight." Well, this is Good Friday, right? Went in and chilling Holy Thursday come out on good friday mm -hmm. angela shows up um with her mother uh, and we're sitting there the scene you see in law and order or whatever you're on one side of the glass and the phones and i walk in there and just immediately start breaking down and she's crying her mother-in-law's crying and she just looked at me and said john i'm not going to divorce you she said if that's what you're worried about she said it has nothing to do with you it has to do with the vows i made to god and she puts the phone down and and, and walks off she goes, and her mother gets on the phone and says, John, you can't come home. Your dad's going to come get you. You're going to have to go to the farm. Um, Angela and the kids will be at our house. You can go home and get clothes or whatever you need, but um, you just need, you got to go do that. So at that point, I was just happy to get out of jail, uh, and I figured I could worry about the rest later. I go outside that night when they let me out of the jail, and I'm assuming it's going to be my sister and it's my father standing there. You know, and I'm a little boy again, right? When you've done something wrong and the fear you have of your father. And and, uh, and he looked at me and he just said, John, are you all right? And he hugged me. You know, we were both crying and <laughs> and he just, he blamed me for, you know, not blame me. He, he asked me, is there anything I've done to make this happen? Is there something out? Did I fail you as a father? Did I, you know, you can imagine the weight of all that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, going, no, dad, you didn't do anything wrong. I made bad decisions and I, you know, and, and all of that, I had to call my work and tell them that, you know, they already knew I'd missed a bunch of phone calls. 
So we head down to my house. We get clothes. We go to my dad's farm. It's a couple hours away in Memphis. Had the realest conversation I think I've ever had in my life with my father, just about my mother and the loss of her and where he was, where I was, all of that. So it's Easter weekend. And I go down there and, and I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no clarity in my life. You know, work. I've got to go to a meeting with him Monday. i got to go to court, you know, Monday as well, all that stuff. But I find myself for the first time in a long time wanting to go to church, right? I'd, I'd fought Angel so many times. I was most of the time too hungover and didn't want to go. But this Sunday, Easter Sunday, I wanted to go and I asked my dad. I said, can I borrow your car and go into town? They had this little room. And it's a 600-person town in the middle of Mississippi. There's not a lot of Catholics running around. So I go there. I go to open the door, and it's locked. And, and I get back in the car, and John, I just break down. I'm beating the steering wheel. I'm like, really, God, the first time I've wanted to go to church in 10 years, and, and I can't go. And this lady, this car comes screaming in the parking lot. It's the lady who who uh, does communion services there. She's a she's a sister mm-hmm. and uh, does those when when the pre, the rotating priest has to go to another town. And, uh, and she kind of looks in the window and goes, what's the matter with you? Cause I'm crying and beating the stairwell. And she says, what do you, I said, I just want to go to mass, you know, and she probably was thinking this guy's really upset about mass. <laughs> but, um, anyway, she, she says, John, like, or, you know, I told her my name. She said, John, there's too many people. It's Easter. We're, we moved it down to a larger building in another town down the road. Do you know where it is? She said, yeah, I know where it is. So I run down there. I go in there. I sit and there's all these families in there with their kids. It was very hard, you know, being there. Uh, I had this huge weight on me because Angela's from a huge Italian family. Mm-hmm. And I had this image of, I knew what aunt's house she was going to. Mm-hmm. And I knew everyone would be in the kitchen. And when she opened the door, you'd hear the, uh, you know, just that, that sound of, Oh gosh, like the elephant in the room is here. Yeah. And so that was weighing on me. And I go into this mass it is this priest that, that had done it a mass, a Christmas mass. We'd gone there once before, like five years before Angela and I, and I recognize him, but I think there's no way in heck he would know me. I sit down, he does this beautiful mass in English and Spanish. And I head for the door. There's a potluck afterwards. I don't want to be invited. I just kind of want to leave and, and, and have my tears in the car, you know, for not me and my family. So I get to the door and I'm about to open it. And this guy, I feel this hand hit my shoulder and I turn around and it's this priest. And he says, hello, John. He calls me by my name. I mean, I, I met mm-hmm. the guy once five years before. And he says, I don't know where your family is or why they're not here. But he said, God wants me to tell you that everything's going to be all right. Wow. And it just rocked me to my core. I mean, it just, I went, how do you, how do you know? You know, he turned and walked off and I got in the car and I sped home. I said, that's it. I'm changing my life. I'm changing my life. Whatever I got to do to get my family back, I'm going I'm to get them back. So I go to court that Monday and, and I you know, plead guilty and I get on diversion and all the things I needed to do to clean that up. I went to work and answered all their questions. and But I had made my mind up and this was not court uh, appointed. I had made my mind up. I was going to go to a rehabilitation center and see how bad this was. Hadn't talked to my wife since I saw her in jail that Friday or that Thursday. Yeah, Friday evening. And uh, my dad was taking me to do all these things. I said, Dad, would you please take me to this rehabilitation center? said, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. So he takes me down there and John, he's sitting in there and my innocent, just, you know, wonderful father. And these people were bringing just family members in there that are just almost peeling their skin off with their nails because they were, they were methed out and thinking there's stuff on them. And, and I'm sitting in this room and they call me back to another waiting room and my dad's going to go. And I said, dad, please just stay out here. Like, I, I don't want you to see any more of this. Go wait in the car or something, please. Like, and so he went to the car and I'm sitting there in this room and, and the door was right here over my shoulder, my right shoulder. One after another, they were bringing people in and just people just throw them to the floor. Take them. I'm done. I'm done. Like, this is it. I've been here 20 times. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And it just was too much. I pick up the newspaper that was next to me and I just, I hold it up. I'm not even reading it. I'm just wondering what my life's going to be. What's it going to look like? And the door keeps opening. Well, one time it opens and nobody walks by. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, I look up and, it, and I lower the paper and it's my wife. And I look at her and I say, Angel, what are you doing here? And she said, John, I can't let you go through this alone. And it just rocked me to my core to, <laughs> you know, I had, I had been such a terrible excuse for a man for such a long time. And here was this wonderful woman that I had put through hell that was just showing me right in front of me what it meant to love, mm-hmm. right? What God calls us to every one of us. So she walked with me back to the assessment center. They put me in a 30 day outpatient program 
And, uh, and they were able to let me go home that night. And she looked at me and she said, John, the kids need to know you're alive. They need you around. You can come home. I'm not going to be able to sleep in the bed with you. I just, I'm not at that place, but, uh, you can come home. Excuse my tears. But, mm. uh, at the time in my old house, our bedroom was across the hall from my son's. And, uh, I walked in the house that night and my kids just, they, they hugged me and, I'll just never forget that feeling of just, oh my gosh, I can't believe I almost threw all this away mm -hmm. and how lucky I am to get a second chance. So I go to bed that night. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, wow, this is nice. My own bed is air conditioning and TV. And, you know, it just I can eat something that's not, you know, cornbread or whatever they gave us in jail. And, uh, and I look and there's, you know, I'm with a smile on my face and I look down at the bed next to me and there's an empty spot. And I look across the hall and I see the, the shape of my wife. Um, in, in the, in the bed, in my son's bed across the hall and the smile just fades away. Right. I go, what are you happy about? Like nothing's fixed. You're home. Yeah. You're, you, you've made a pledge to quit doing the drugs and the drinking, but you gotta be a different man. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't just stop there. And so I, I just, I prayed real quick and I said, God, like, I know, I know you're giving me a second chance. I know I haven't been the person you want me to be, but please like lead me to something. So I start to scurry around the room to find a Bible and all this stuff. And I can't find anything opened my nightstand and there's father Larry Richards book that he had given me three or six years before at a conference. And I opened it and I looked to when I'd gone to that conference, still in the midst of my drug use and the first three pages that had been underlined. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to change my life back then. And it lasted for three pages. Well, I picked that book up and I read it cover to cover that night. I mean, I was up to like six in the morning reading it when my wife got up and I said, I'm going to be different. So John, I, I started getting more involved in the parish. I started coaching my kids' teams. I, I started going to the men's club. I didn't drink or anything for a long time. Wound up finding out that my problem was the cocaine. It wasn't an alcohol addiction. I mean, I'm fine to have a beer or whatever, but um, but that how much I was drinking was being driven by the drugs. Mm -hmm. So I started going to the men's club and doing all these things. And, and uh, in the midst of it all, I'd started opening the scriptures again. I started going to church every Sunday. I started praying, and, and I just remembered – how much I loved that when I was younger and how much I had missed it, man, mm -hmm. how much I had missed it. And the Lord just started speaking to me and I started to see the beauty of the Catholic church. I had gone into the church one day. Uh, no one at my work was, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody what had happened in my life. So I had all these customers and heard rumors and, and were cussing me and, you know, you cokehead and you this and that, I'll never buy another thing from you again. And mm -hmm. just, you know, wondering how I was going to provide for my family. Well, anyway, I was in the church parking lot one day, uh, and my father's borrowed Suburban because mine was still in the impound by my, my car. And uh, the pastor of the church goes walking by in the parking lot. And and I thought, I want to hide. And that's a place no one would ever look for me in the church because I never went to daily mass or anything like that. So I went in there, felt like such a huge hypocrite. I sat down on the Joseph side, started praying. Mass started. Next thing you know, I'm in tears, man. Like it's the first time ever. There's like eight people that are retired and me in there. And it's the first time I ever heard the entirety of the mass without any distraction or any noise or, and I started to weep at how long that I had, I had sat there and ignored this purposely. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the pastor starts to, to preach and it's just speaking right to me. And, and I wasn't going to go up for the Eucharist and he looks over and, and by this time I'm crying so loud, like it's disrupting mass. Like, it's just, I can't stop it. I'm just bawling. And, and he looks at me, you know, when he, when he calls us up for communion and I just shook my head and he looked at me and he said, come. And I went up there and I took the body and the blood of our Lord and it transformed me, man. Like mm. I went back to the pew and I prayed so hard, John, as a horse of her prayed in my life. Like I, I didn't even know that mass was over. They had processed out. And again, a hand hits my shoulder and it's this priest. And he looks at me and he says, John, what are you doing here? which was a valid question. I didn't go to mass much. <laughs> and, uh, and I look up and he sees me crying. He says, come with me. And he takes me to the, to the confessional and he, he lets me dump all of this and he doesn't let me beat up on myself. And he says, here's the thing. You're going to start coming to daily mass every day because you can't, cause you don't have to be, you don't, you're off your work for 30 days. You, you're not going to that rehab center till later in the morning. So you're going to be here for eight fifteen mass. Second of all, you're going to start lecturing. I'm going to show you how to do that. And you start tomorrow. And thirdly, you're coming, you're coming to confession once a week to me. And that priest saved my life. He did. He took me and he showed me that I could be better. That I could be a man that not to, not to list, not to stay stuck in the past, mm -hmm. but to move into the future. Uh, like I said, I started to read and study and all of those things. And about a year later, I go back to the same conference. Father Mike Schmitz was, was, uh, 
was speaking as the main speaker. Uh, there was a focus missionary named Lee Vollmer that was, was the witness speaker, which, you know, Father Mike was in the role you played that year when you were there, and, and Lee was in my role of the witness speaker. And I love Father Mike Smith, but Lee Vollmer was the thing for me. I mean, he, he, had, he was a young man that had drug problems and alcohol problems, and the courage he showed, I was like, you can do that. You can get up there and share those things with other men. Because mm-hmm. I had surrounded myself with all these men in the parish now, but no one had known what had happened mm-hmm. because I was afraid of what would happen. Mm-hmm. So um, that day, that night, actually, there was a fundraiser at the parish, basketball, three-point shootout thing. There was another guy there that had been there that day, and he was on fire, John. Like, this guy was running around the gym going like, man, I went to this thing today, and oh, my gosh, like, woo, you know, screaming and hollering. <laughs> and like he's telling, like, out loud what he confessed. And um, some of the stuff did not need to be shared between women and children. <laughs> I was like, hey, dude, calm down. Yeah. Like, you cannot say that in a crowded gym PG, full of fans. PG. Yeah, like, come on, man, cut <laughs> off the whole shower thing, all right? Was not about that anymore. So anyway he's like man i don't know why i'm like this and i said dude you, it's the holy spirit like the holy spirit's got a hold of you mm-hmm. and this is a lifelong catholic right and he says i don't i don't know anything about the holy spirit i know i know god and jesus but i don't know about the holy spirit and so i start to t- he starts to ask me questions and the old baptist roots come out right like i start just talking about from the beginning and all that and and then i the guilt right like the devil likes to do to us all the guilt of what had happened in my life came over me i go you know what jay I, i'm not your guy like you need to ask the priest or somebody else. And I turn to walk off. And he goes, no, 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 man. You know that like share with me more. And I said, no, dude, I'm, I'm not your guy. Like I just, I have no business talking to you about this. And he didn't know why. And I wasn't going to tell him. So he begged me. He said, please, can we just, we'll go somewhere private. We'll go to dinner like one night this week. Can I take you to dinner? And I said, yeah. So the next day I sat down and I go, what am I, what have I got myself into? I don't, I have no business to tell anybody about this. I open my Bible and I get a, a legal pad and John, I got six pages of stuff by the time I'm done about the Holy spirit mm. and follow Larry's book. I'm looking through it and it just came back to me. And, and, uh, long story short, uh, that Tuesday night I go meet with him and I look, must look like a lawyer. I mean, I had bottles and books and stuff everywhere and he sits down and I just start sharing with him about from, from the beginning breath in Genesis, God breathing over the waters and the earth, um, to all the way to Pentecost and beyond. Mm. And, and explain it to them, you know, and I feel that fire, man. You know, you know what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The hair on your arms stick <laughs> up. goosebumps everywhere. And he looks at me and goes, man, this is incredible. You got to start a men's group. And I, again, the guilt, Jay, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. Why not? You know all this stuff. I can't do it. I'm not your guy. I had read 70 Catholic books that year, John. No kidding. Like from the time all this had happened. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I just said, I can't do it. And, and he looks at me and he says, why? And I just felt the Lord convict me to tell him. And I shared everything I've just shared with you. And I start crying in the middle of a mellow mushroom pizza place, you know, all <laughs> stuff. And kids are like, what's wrong with that man, mommy? What's you in know? his pizza? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, look what alcohol does to you. <laughs> no, but anyway, I, uh, I'm just pouring it out. And, and, and I'm expecting fully, John, this man to get up and say, you know what? I'm done here. Like, check, please. Yeah. And he looks at me and he goes, that's incredible. Mm. He said, John, that's incredible. And I said, you're not going to run away. You're not going to leave. You're not going to move. You're not going to. He said, no, man. Like, we got to start a men's group. And I said, get out of here, man. That is definitely not. No way. No way. And he goes, come on, man. I know guys. You know guys. We don't have anything like that in our parish. And I started to think about it. And I said, you know what? I go to this men's club fundraising thing. But the only time we ever talk about God is when we, when we if, if the priest is there to pray over the food. If he's not, we don't even pray in a parish, you know. So he convinces me. We called together a bunch of men. It was like 25, 30 guys. The night comes a week later, and it's the time of year where it's dark outside at like 530. I'm walking into what's the family room from the outside, and I walk up, and I see all these men sitting, and they're waiting on us. We haven't told them why they're there, any of that. Mm. And I go to reach for the door, and all of a sudden, man, this voice in my ear goes, don't, don't open that door. You open that door, you're going to lose everything, right? You're going to lose everything. You're gonna, your, your kids won't be able to go to school here anymore. You'll get kicked out of the parish. When everybody finds out about you, you won't have any friends left in this world. What are you going to do? You're going to wreck everything. Turn and go home. So I let I physically let go of the door. Now, none of them could see me because it was dark outside. And I turned to walk off. And all of a sudden, I hear something else go, John, you made a promise. Open the door. And it was the voice of God, man. Like I, I just, I don't know if it was a feeling or what, but I turned around and I opened that door and I step in there. And immediately all the guys are like, John, why are we here? 
And I stand up at this table. It's a you know square table with all these men sitting around it. And uh, and I said, look, we got a great men's club here. You know, we do a lot of great things. We get jerseys for the kids. We cook barbecue, make money for the parish. But we never talk about God. And let me tell you what can happen in your life when you don't do that. Mm. And I went, blah. I mean, John, I might as well have been standing there naked, man. Mm. I mean, just crying in front of half these people I knew, half I didn't. And at the end of it, I just, I said, that's all I have to share. Like, I, I don't know what's next. Like, I, I would like to start a men's group here. I think we need it. I don't know what I'm doing, but is this something you guys would want to do? And I sit down. And all of a sudden, the guy who invited me to do this stood up next to me, and I thought he was going to leave. I said, you know, I understand you guys don't know why you're here, so if you want to leave, you can. And he stands up first. I'm like, really? You're going to leave? You're the reason I'm here. <laughs> and, and I look up, and he's crying. And he just says, he says, man, like, I'm a terrible father. I care more about money and my job than I do my family because of the way that I spend my time. The next guy gets up and he says, man, I'm addicted to pot. and My wife's going to leave me if I don't stop. The next person says, man, I, I'm, I'm addicted to porn. The next one, I'm getting a divorce and none of y'all even know it. I'm a, one guy showed up and said, I Ubered here. I'm drunk right now. I've been in a hotel room. I've been in a fight with my wife. And I mean, John, the whole room, just it was like pistons in an engine, one man after another. And that was the first night that God showed me vulnerability and the power of it in my life. Uh, you know, I realized that although I was in a physical jail cell, you know, uh, you know, four mortared walls, brick and mortar, mm -hmm. that so many people in this world are in a, in a, in a virtual uh, prison cell of, built of walls of our own sins, our own failures, our own faults, our own misgivings and, and failures, and that we're stuck in there. Mm -hmm. And that every time we go to reach for the door, the devil does the same thing he was trying to do to me that night. Don't open that door. He goes to poking and prodding, right? If you do, they're going to find out about your porn problem. They're going to find out about the way you talk to your wife. They're going to find out about whatever it is in your life. So you let go of the door. And the devil convinces you that you're more, that it's comfortable and that you don't have to change. If you start following that Jesus guy, things have to be different, mm -hmm. right? Stay in here where it's safe, where we can have fun. We can be whatever we want to be in here. Mm -hmm. But if you can get past, if you can find what I was able to find in that room that night, what God blessed to, you know, bless me with showing me, mm -hmm. you can open that door. And when you step out, you figure out it's not, it's not pain and torture that the devil tries to convince you is on the other side of the door. The pain and the torture is staying in there. Mm -hmm. The thing that you find when you open that door is the peace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? The redemption that awaits every sinner mm -hmm. that opens his heart. You know, I had told myself for so long in my life, John, that like, the father, the, the, there was no way God could love me because of the things I'd done, the person I'd been, the way I treated him, mm -hmm. the disrespect I had shown him. But God showed me that he's like the father in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah. You know, the, my favorite line in that is when it says, and the father saw his son coming from a long way off and rushed out to meet him. Mm -hmm. And that's the way God looks at all of us, right? Like we think that God is disgusted and he has his, he's turned away from us, but he's not. He stands there every day waiting for us just to turn around and look at him. So you're going to see how much he loves us. And so, John, like from that day forward, I went, I spoke at MMOS the next year with you, uh, scared to death. You probably heard my knees rattling all the way wherever you were sitting. But I got up there in front of a thousand men and told that story and walked off that stage and thought, I finally know what I think I'm supposed to do with my life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's why I failed at college. I never, I was never a guy that said, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. But God showed me that day what, what he had given me a gift to be able to do. And uh, I met Chris Cope that day from Cardinal Studios, went to work for him and helped with the Rise program for a number of years and went around speaking all over the country on behalf of it. And um, Deacon Jeff Drzymski, who's a, a mutual friend of ours, is the host of the Catholic Cafe. Yeah. Uh, he was in my Curcio group and I'd started this men's thing. It blew up in the diocese and men were coming in, even Protestant men were coming and saying, hey, I heard this is a place I could be real. And then they were becoming Catholic, you know, a year later because they were around men that had changed their lives for the Lord and, mm -hmm. and were just wanting to be brothers and real with each other. And so Deacon Jeff had heard about this. We were at Casillo one night and he says, you know, hey, John, like you need an outlet. You need a podcast. Let's get out of here, man. I don't know anything about that stuff. And nobody wants to listen to me anyway. <laughs> and he goes, I'm serious. Like you need to you need to do this. He goes, what would you call it? And immediately out of my mouth, what are the words? Just a guy in the pew. And that stemmed from one of those days at daily mass. You know, here I am for people. I'm sitting down. I'm six foot eight. I'm a big dude. <laughs> and uh, and lecturing, I was always sitting in the front pew. And inevitably, after a while, almost every day for like a month, an older retired person, God bless their soul, would walk up and um, 
and I could hear them. I'd be praying after mass. I could hear the click clock of heels or shoes. And someone would tap me on the shoulder and they'd say, excuse me, young man, are you in the diaconate? Are you in the seminary? <laughs> I go, no, I'm just the guy with you. And so that's where the name came from. And John, for the last couple of years, we've been, uh, we've been putting out podcasts and, and doing all that. I know I've said a lot and you're probably like, man, I haven't had to say a word. So I apologize. No, this, for going is, on. this is actually the way it should work, right? As a good interviewer would do. He just asks a question and you go, you know, you just kind of tell your story. Now, you know, to be honest, bro, like every time I hear the story and I've heard it numerous times and it's just yeah. like day one, right? It, it cuts right to the heart. And, you know, there's a lot there. We've had obviously hours and hours of discussion sure. between you and I, because we can both talk and we both can share our love for God and, and that transformative story that we both um, can relate to in different ways and to, to certain degrees. But no, this is, I mean, this is the whole reason why I wanted you on, bro. I mean, it's long overdue because I think people need to hear more of this story because a lot of people are in that prison, right? Yeah. Again, and you know, um, the work of, you know, Pew Ministries and just a guy in the pew and all that you're doing and praise be to God for Angela. And I, you know, I, I, every time I hear this story, man, I just, you know, I love her even more as a sister, just because <laughs> she let, it's just like I say about Nicole, right? I knew yeah. that I knew that she was the one because she led me back to the one. And I think that's the sure. same thing for Angela with you is that because we have wives who are serious about God and about their faith and, and more specifically their vows to God. I mean, her, her words are powerful. I mean, that's why I got emotional while you're telling it again. And I've heard it numerous times already yeah. is this has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God and, and, and the vows that I made to him. If people sure. would take their faith that seriously, that realizing that marriage as beautiful it is, as it is, is still a cross, right? It's, it's a pathway towards sanctification as our wives know wholeheartedly, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> with us knuckleheads as yeah. they're, as they're, we're saint makers, you and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are there. We are their purgatory yeah. on earth, no doubt. Um, but, but I think this is the amazing thing about it. that's just the whole the story, you know, with the podcast, my podcast series, this one is, you know, true faith, real talk. And it's about that, like, um, the story that you have, much like the sport story that I have, unfortunately, is resonates and is really relevant to especially the men today, right? Sure. For men who have abdicated their responsibilities before, for men who didn't live out that call to greatness as God designed us for, for yeah. men who didn't, who bought into the cultural, you know, uh, lies and to and listen to the evil one. When, when we put our hands on the plow, we were looking back, right? And we're not fit for the yeah. kingdom of God sure. when we do that. So, all of that, brother, is all that goes to say in the thing that I also want to glean out from what you just shared is that the, the beautiful thing about God, our God, is that there's nothing we can do to merit his love and there's nothing we can do to yeah. lose that love. And I yeah. think in our brokenness, and our humanness, that's where we often fall for the, the, the evil one's trick. Right. It's like yeah. the very love you have to try to earn is that very love that you'll lose by not being perfect, by not being whatever, fill in the blank. Sure. So, you know, the, the, the story in and of itself speaks to exactly what I wanted it to speak to. Uh, every time <laughs> I hear it is, is exactly yeah. what God can do when we listen. Right. And so, right. you know, as I, I share often with my listeners and a lot of different talks, you know, my wife, we used to have this conversation. She said, you know, every knee will bend before the Lord. Some will do it on their own. Others will need their legs shattered. Yeah. And both you and I, even though we're different heights, um, mm -hmm. you being six, eight, and <laughs> me, not, me not being six, eight. Um, it's a longer fall. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. We both needed our knees and our legs shattered. And I think praise yeah. be to God for that because that is mercy, right? Others yeah. may see that as, um, as, uh, you know, differently, but I think that's what led us back is that you and I both needed to be broken. We need to be torn down in order for God to build us back up. So man, yeah. many, uh, you know, time flies just listening to that story. I, I knew what was going to happen when I invited you on because I was like, man, yes. I just, just got to open up the, the gates and then you're there. Yeah. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and I mean that in a good way, no. bro. I mean that in a good yeah, way. Sure. So, um, where sure. can people, so, you know, you got just a guy in the pew as far as the podcast. Sure. I'm going to put the links yep. there. You got pew ministries now that you, you've decided yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. since we've actually, when you were out here in California in February, I know yeah. this is part of the process, yeah. right? Um, so pew ministries is, yeah. is up and going and live now. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, like I said, I worked for Cardinal for a while and then the Lord discerned, uh, helped them discern to go in a direction of a uh, different direction with their ministry. So 
it left me looking for something to do in my life. Uh, what were the next steps were? And that was around Christmas, uh, this past year. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife, again, you know, I'm sitting there going, wow, I didn't realize I wasn't going to have a job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in my room and she happens to be working from home or home that day and comes through there and sees a look on my face. And I tell her, and she said, well, why don't you go ahead and start that nonprofit you've been talking about? I think God wants you to do that. And I'm going like, what? I just lost my job. Like I have no money coming in. Like, that's what you have to say. And she's like, yeah, I think you can do it. And so we started Pew Ministries, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. uh, And the mission is to bring the person of Jesus Christ to the person in the pews. Uh, You know, the same thing with just a guy in the pew. That's the tagline for just a guy in the pew. The podcast is, is, you know, the place for everyday guys talk about everyday things in front of the one person that can do something about it, Jesus Christ. Mm. And the whole point of our ministry is to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ to, to, you know, there's a common thread, I think of people to think that like, if I become Catholic, especially Catholic, because of all the things that are involved in Catholicism, like I have to do all these things or I have to be this. And and we think that we lose some of ourselves or have to be completely different than I am to follow the Lord. I know the Lord knows who you are. Like he invite, he, he made you Mm. and he wants every bit of who you are. And so we fight this notion of I'm not good enough or I have to change the person I am. And we talk about things in a relatable way. And so Pew Ministries is sort of the house that houses just got in the pew. We've got Deacon Jeff and I are about to do a show called The Messy Catholic. That's about to come that's out. That's fitting and, with De- Deacon Jeff, the messy part yeah, at least. That's right. Shout oh, out yeah. to you, Deacon. I love you, man. <laughs> he, he's so unclean. He's so unclean. He's not a cleanly person. No, I'm just kidding. But so we got all that. And uh, honestly, this, is, this comes a good time because – we made the decision as well to reach out to a Catholic marketing firm. Mm-hmm. So next week, which today's the is uh, July the 30th, mm-hmm. uh, we are going to release a brand new website. Uh, we are now on Patreon. So uh, you're going to be able to anybody who would like to listen and has been touched or heard anything that we do that helps them. Hopefully, you know, if you'd like to support, you'll be able to do that and get some cool stuff with just a guy on the pew on it and all that. And, mm-hmm. and just know that you're, you know, any support that anybody might want to give to the mission, will be used uh, to to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. Amen. Well, brother, I am uh, blessed to know you, blessed to know you and your, your family and your beautiful wife, um, and very grateful to be doing this work um, in the vineyard of our most blessed Lord. And I'm grateful that that, that you too had your legs shattered, um, even though we wish we would have had that back. You know, God right. uh, brings the greater good out of all things, right, for those who love him. So, we are. I'm grateful, and I'm grateful that World of Blaze is a partner with uh, with P Ministries, and grateful for your friendship and your brotherhood, and grateful for your fight. So keep up the good work out there. Um, you know that the world needs to hear your story, and I'm glad that you were able to tell it here. Uh, and keep you know keep fighting, man. Every single day, um, every single day for um, that wife and that family of yours, and for the yeah. souls that we've been entrusted with. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, I know this isn't the last time we'll be talking grateful that you no, man. <laughs> grateful for you joining me. <laughs> Better on, not be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. Yeah. But grateful for you joining me on true faith, real talk, brother. And, yeah. uh, again, my regards to, to Angela and the kids and, uh, may God bless you and keep you always in all the work you're doing for him. True faith, real talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.